0: In the late 1800s, Lieutenant George DeLong and 28 of his crew members set out on the USS Jeanette in hopes of doing something that up until that point in history, no human being had done before, make it to the North Pole. Now, to get to the North Pole, DeLong and his crew, they relied heavily on the ideas and thoughts of Heinrich Peterman. Peterman was a leading cartologist of the day, and he championed this idea that at the top of the world was what was known as an open polar sea. What's that? Well, uh, he suggested that at, at the top of the world was not, it wasn't particularly cold, especially during the summer. But what was there, what you would find at the North Pole, was a warm, ice free, shallow sea whose waters could be easily sailed. Marine life was abundant. Maybe even a lost civilization lived there. Now, if that sounds crazy, just know that Peterman was no outlier. Leading geographers, leading scientists of the day believed this theory too. Cartologists were so convinced that this open polar sea existed that they routinely put it on their maps. And here's the thing, though. All of these maps, none of them take into account what every expedition, what every explorer to the North Pole had run into every other time in history. Ice. You would think that all these expeditions to the North Pole keep running into ice, all these people keep running into ice, that they would abandon this idea of a warm, shallow sea there, but they didn't. Instead, what Heinrich Peterman does is he adapts the idea. He adapts the theory, and he adds to it the idea of a thermometric gateway. What the heck is that, right? For him, what he said was, this, this ice that we, everybody's running into, all these explorers, all these expeditions, this ice that everyone's running into, well, it must be a circular barrier uh, around this warm sea. And, and what, what needed to happen was that you needed to find the thermometric gateway, the gap If you will, between the ice, because if you could find the gap, if you could find the thermometric gateway through the ice, you'd end up and be able to smoothly sail the warm, shallow North Pole Sea. Now, that's what George DeLong and his crew wanted to find. You probably know where this is going. It's not what he found. See, sadly, shortly after his journey began, their crew, they, their dream of being the first to the North Pole, well, it crashed on the rocks of reality. And those rocks were ice, just like everyone else. Stuck in ice, caught in ice. They drifted in ice for two years before eventually shifting ice, crushed and sank their ship. Some of the crew managed to survive. Many did not, including DeLong. One of the things that he wrote in his journal shortly before he died is this. He said, I pronounce a thermometric gateway to the North Pole a delusion and a snare. I pronounce the thermometric gateway to the North Pole a delusion and a snare. He said the same thing about the warm polar sea. Didn't exist. It's a delusion, it's a snare. Now, of course, it's a tragic story, right? And every time I hear it or think about it, I think about the question, what went wrong? What went wrong? How is it that dreams ended in disaster? What went wrong for them? Was it, was it that their boat wasn't strong enough? Was it that they, they didn't have good enough weather? Was it that they didn't have enough resources, that, the food and these kinds of things? Well, in some sense, yes. All of those things factored into the tragedy of this story. But none of those things, I think, is the main problem. I think the main problem is that they had a bad map. The map that they were using to get where they wanted to go it was faulty. It led them astray. Contrast that for a second with Frederick Cook and his crew, a whopping three men total, who in 1908 become the first to reach the North Pole. How'd they do it? Better boat, better weather, less ice? No, they had a better map. They had a better map. They knew that the thermometric gateway, they knew that the open polar sea, this warm sea at the North Pole, they knew that it didn't exist. They knew that there was going to be ice and lots of it. And so they didn't set out to sail. They made the trek on foot. They knew how to prepare, but more importantly, they knew the way that they knew the way to get there. See, having the right map, it makes all the difference. Having the right map makes all the difference. And of course, that's true for us too in life, right? I mean, not just literally, like when we're going somewhere new, we need the right map to get where we want to go. But, but also metaphorically, as we're kind of journeying through life, having the right map, it makes all the difference whether or not we get to where we want to go. But how do we know if that's true? How do we know if we have the right map? I think it's hard. And I say that because I think our culture is full of maps, full of people offering their maps, their ideas, selling their thoughts, their ideas, their maps about how all human beings get to the one place that all human beings want to go, which is the good life. Our our, our culture is full of maps telling us how to get to the good life. So, So follow this map and you'll be successful. Follow this map and you'll be happy. Follow this map and you'll be wealthy. Follow this map and you'll be healthy. Follow this map and you'll be better looking. Follow this map and you'll have success and and meaning and purpose. Follow this map and you'll finally get the significance that you've been longing for. And of course, all of those things are good things. They're not bad things. They're things that we as human beings want. And so what we do is we stake the expedition of our lives in pursuit of them. But the map that we're using to get to the good life, it makes all the difference. See, see, here's a question. Do you know what map you're using in life? Do you know what map you're staking the expedition of your life on? Why does it matter that we know the answer to that question? Uh, James K.A. Smith, he's an author, philosopher. He wrote this in one of his great little books. He said, It's not until we're shipwrecked that we realize we trusted faulty maps. It's not until we're shipwrecked that we realize we trusted faulty maps. See, here's what he's saying. He's saying faulty maps lead to shipwrecked lives. Why do we need to know what map we're using in life? Because faulty maps lead to shipwrecked lives. We're in this series this summer uh, looking at the psalms in the Old Testament, various psalms in the Old Testament. This morning, I want to look together with you at Psalm 1. It's a, it's a wisdom psalm, and it's a psalm that I love for lots of reasons, but, but in particular because it lays out pretty plainly, pretty clearly. Sometimes I'm a pretty black and white guy. Just give it to me straight. That's what it does. It lays out pretty plainly for us two different ways to live. It gives us two different maps for how we can live our lives. And as we consider this psalm together, I want you to consider these two questions, because I think these are the questions that come out of this psalm. Which way are you going in life, and what map are you using to get there? Which way are you going in life, and what map are you using to get there? Okay, let's jump in. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, I have this word blessed here highlighted because as I was studying this passage, it it struck me, it jumped off the page of me. I don't know that this is necessarily the the whole point of the psalm or anything, but, but it just struck me that the first word of the first psalm in the Bible is blessed. Now, that's how our English, most of our English translations translate, our English Bibles translate the Hebrew word behind this word. Remember the Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew. This is how our English Bibles mostly translate this word, but we could also just as easily translate it as as happy or or thriving or or flourishing or successful or rewarded. See, I'm pointing this out because I want us to see that God is interested in, God is invested in, God created us, you and me. He created us to thrive. God created us for flourishing. He created us for abundant life. See, God wants you and me to be blessed, and he's giving us the roadmap in this psalm on how to get there. One of the things that I get to do around here at our church is I get to work with uh, college-age young adults, and I love working with this group of people. Uh, and, and, but what, one of the things that's come up over the years as I've been doing that is this idea that, that God is not interested in my happiness God is not interested in my flourishing. That's not necessarily the words that they would say, but God is not interested in me thriving. God's not interested in my success. God's not interested in my happiness. What God is mostly interested in is me just following rules. And to be fair to them, I don't think that that's just a college idea, right? I I think that's an idea that maybe some of us in this room have or watching online that we've got this notion in our minds that God is mostly interested, not in our happiness, not in our success, not in our thriving, not in our flourishing, but God is mostly interested in us just following rules. Not according to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1, word 1 says, blessed, thriving, flourishing. That's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for us. And if that's true, then we've got to ask how do we get it? If God wants us to be blessed, if God wants us to flourish, if God wants us to thrive, well, then how do we get that? How do we become those kinds of people? Well, he says what not to do before he ever says what to do. He says, blessed, happy, thriving, fortunate is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So does not walk, does not stand, does not sit. Here's what this is saying. He's saying that there is a way. There is a map. There is a way in life of those who resist God. There is a way. There is a map of those who think they know better than God. There is a way of those who live contrary to the way that God has created us to live. Resist that way. Resist the way of those who resist God. Now, maybe you're wondering, okay, wait a second. Are you saying, or is this verse saying that I shouldn't associate myself with, with people who don't believe what I believe the Bible says? People who, who don't necessarily believe what I believe about Jesus? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that neither is this verse, but what I think this verse is doing for us is it's, it's giving us a warning. Embedded in this verse is a warning, and that warning is this, that we need to be careful with who we're letting influence us. We need to be careful with, with who we're letting influence or, or what we're letting influence our thinking, who we're letting shape what we do, what we think about. Why? Because what we think about will determine what we love and what we love is what we'll become. What we think about will determine what we love and what we love is what we become. And so we've got to wrestle with that, right? Right? I say, we, me, you, who's influencing you? When you think about the list of influences in your life, when you think about the list of things and people that that are shaping you and what you think, who is it? What is it? Here's a different question. Do you really wanna be where that thing is leading you? Do you really wanna be where that person is going? See, God is saying, God is saying that if we want to flourish, we've got to resist the way of those who resist God. If we want thriving, if we want the good life, then then we can't stake the expedition of our lives on those who think they know better than him. God has a better map for us. That's what this psalm is about. God has a better map for our lives, and it's found in verse 2. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So let me just quickly point out, we see law here twice. I just talked, wait, are we saying rules? No. Sometimes we think we hear law and we associate rule. This is kind of one of those things, it's one of those translation things, right? Like scholars have pointed out that, you know, a better word, or not maybe a better, but another word that we could use here is instruction, that instruction of the Lord meditates on his instruction day and night. Because a lot of the Bible, it's, it's not rules at all, it's narrative. But, but when the Bible, use, when we translate this word law, really it's the entire instruction of God. This is the key to this psalm. This is the roadmap that God is giving to us this morning. That success in life, it depends on our saturation in God's word. Your success in life depends according to Psalm 1 verse 2, on your saturation in his word. Now, if I asked you when you walked in this, the doors this morning, hey, tell me about your idea of a happy life. Hey, tell me what you think the good life is. Hey, tell me what you think success is and prosperity and flourishing and thriving and all these kinds of things. Is, is that how you would have answered Is that how that that a successful life, a thriving life, a flourishing life depends on my saturation in God's word? See, if I'm completely honest, I don't know that I would have. But here's the thing God does. And this isn't the only place in the Bible we see this, lest we think that he's just hanging an important point on one little sentence. No, 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 no. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. One place is in the book of Joshua. Let me give you some context before I read some verses. What's going on in the Old Testament book of Joshua? The, the, the people of God, Israel, it's on the cusp of entering into the land of Canaan. This is the promised land, the, God, the land that God had promised uh, Israel's ancestors that one day he would bring them, in, bring them into the land and bring them into the land so that they would have abundant life, they'd have flourishing and thriving, they'd have the good life. But Israel has a problem. And the problem is that their leader, Moses, has just died. And so they have no leader to bring them into the promised land. They have no leader to bring them into this land that they're going to thrive and flourish in. And so what God does is he raises up a guy named Joshua. Joshua's gonna fill the void. He's gonna fill the vacuum left by Moses and lead the people into the promised land. And this is what God says to him. He has a conversation with him before this happens. And God says to Joshua this, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law, all the instruction my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, what God is saying to Joshua is that if if Joshua wants to thrive, if Joshua wants success and prosperity and the good life in the land that he's promised, then what Joshua needs to do is let his word become central to all that he is and all that he does. Now, that sounds a lot like Psalm 1, verse 2, doesn't it? Blessed is the one, happy is the one, thriving is the one, flourishing is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. See, this is the ancient transcendent wisdom of the Bible right here, right here in one verse. This is the ancient transcendent wisdom of the Bible that if you want happiness, if I want happiness, if we want happiness in life, if we want success and prosperity, if we want the good life, then we've got to learn to delight. We've got to learn to find great joy, deep joy, lasting joy in God's word. We've got to learn to let God's word, all of his word, not just the parts that we like, all of his word, becomes central to, to who we are and all that we do. And here's an uncomfortable question. Is that your view of Scripture? Is, that, is this your posture toward the Bible? Is that, do you read the Bible? Do you read it like this? Like the good life depends on it? Your good life depends on it? See, in case you think that I'm just coming at you, let me, let me just be honest and say, I'm a pastor. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm gonna say it. My answer to those questions is often no. It's not my posture toward scripture. It's not my posture toward God's word. It's interesting, it's ironic, right? Like God says, hey, here's the roadmap. You want blessing, you want uh, thriving, you want success, you want prosperity, you want these things, then this is what you do. And you know what I do? I say, nah too busy. I got all these other things going on. I, I, I've got more important things to worry about. I'm too fixated on, on other maps. I'm too fixated on, on faulty things, faulty thinking about God. The list goes on and on and on. See, see, I spend so much of my time in my life, not listening to the voice of God in my life through his word, because I'm listening to the voice of so many others. I spend so much time not listening to the voice of God because I'm so fixated on listening to the voice of others. As I was wrestling with this, convicted by it, praying through it, a passage from a book written by John Mark Comer called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic book. Check it out. But he says this, remember I'm saying this to me, but he says this, he says, do you ever catch yourself with the sneaking suspicion? that you'll wake up on your deathbed with this nagging sense that somehow in all the hurry and busyness and frenetic activity, you missed the most important things. Somehow you started a business, but you ended a marriage. You got your kids to their dream college, but you never taught them the way of Jesus. You got letters after your name, but learned the hard way that intelligence is not the same as wisdom. You made a lot of money, but you never grew rich in the things that matter most. You watched all 14 seasons of blank, but never learned to love prayer. Guilty. See, we convince ourselves, I convince myself, that other maps are going to make me happy, that other maps are going to lead me to the life that I want. But God is saying to us this morning in this psalm, he's saying, no, 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 no blessed, happy, fortunate, thriving, success, prosperity is the one whose delight is in the law, the instruction of the Lord, who meditates on his law and instruction day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, the Bible gets a bad rap the Bible gets a bad rap. People will, will claim, you know what? The Bible, the, what the Bible does is it restricts me, it limits me, it confines me, takes away my freedoms. This is, this is what the Bible does, right? This is, this is the argument that's made. And by the way, that's not just people now. That's, that's always been the case. That's been the argument that Satan has been convincing people of ever since that day in the garden when he approached the man and the woman. When God said to them, to Adam and Eve, you can do all these things, just don't do this thing. And Satan comes in, and he says, you know what? you should do that thing. You should, you know what? You should, you should eat that fruit. You should define what's good and evil for yourself, what's right and wrong for yourself. You should do whatever you want. You do you, Adam and Eve, and then you'll be happy. That's real living. That's always been the lie that Satan has been telling people. And it's the lie that our culture tells us, right? It's a summary of the lie of all the faulty maps, all the faulty thinking that somehow we're going to be happier apart from God. That somehow we're going to be happier apart from God. But here's the thing, that map, that idea doesn't bring life, it brings death. It brought death to the garden, and it brings death to our lives too in the form of sin. God is saying to us in his word this morning, a faulty map. God's word, my word, is what brings life. It's not confining, it's not restricting, it's not limiting, it's freeing. And so that's why we're encouraged to to learn, to delight, learn to find joy, great joy, deep joy in God's word. Learn to let God's word become central to all that we are and all that we do. And when we do, he promises us, this is a promise, That person is like a tree. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? I mean, we stop to think about it. This is a beautiful image. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, always attached to a life source which yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do, prospers. Now, this isn't talking about material prosperity. It's not talking about financial prosperity. No, it's talking about the kind of prosperity that God has created us for. The kind of prosperity that comes when we live in relationship with the living God. The kind of prosperity that comes when we live inside of God's story and play the part that he's giving to us. We become like a well-watered, always attached to a source of life tree, a leafy green tree in a dry climate, always producing fruit in season. See, a a tree doesn't produce fruit for itself. It produces fruit for others. And that's what God is saying, that, that when we let his word become central to all we do and all we are, we're like a leafy tree attached to a source of life, bearing fruit in the lives of others. Don't you want that? Like, don't you want that to be a description of your life? Remember, it's a promise. Let God's word become your delight. Let God's word be something that you meditate on day and night. But if not, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Not so the wicked; they are like chaff that the wind blows away. If you don't know what chaff is, I didn't either. I had to look it up at one point. Chaff is just the uh, the light husk of a piece of grain, like wheat. Right, and the thing about chaff is that um, it's useless; has no purpose. And so what, what farmers in the ancient areas would do, and, and honestly, they still do it today, is they would do a process called winnowing. They'd winnow the grain. And what that did is it separated the husk from the grain. And the way they did that is they would smash or beat the grain, and then they'd throw it up in the air. And when it was thrown into the air, the heavier grain would fall to the ground, and the lighter husk, the chaff, would be caught by the wind and blown away. See, what this verse is saying is that when we aren't firmly rooted in the word of God, even the slightest wind will blow us away. When we aren't firmly rooted in the word of God, when we aren't learning to delight in God's word, when we aren't learning to find our joy in God's word, when God's word is not our map, we are blown away by the slightest wind, led off course, led astray by the slightest wind. here's the thing, there are consequences to that. The rest of the Psalm says this, therefore the wicked, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There it is, right there, two ways, two different ways to live. Which way do you want to live? Do you want to follow the way of those who've learned to delight in God's word, who've learned to let God's word become central to who they are and and what they do? Or do you wanna follow the way of those who resist God Do you want to follow the way of those who think they know better than God? Do you want to follow the way of those who think that they can be happier apart from God? C.S. Lewis said this at one point. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. See, lasting happiness lasting, you can find happiness, but if you want lasting happiness, lasting happiness apart from God, it's a delusion and a snare. It's as faulty as thinking that there's a warm, shallow sea at the North Pole or that there's a thermometric gateway through ice. Following that map for your life will lead to disaster one way or another at one point or another. Psalm one, it's laying out for us two different ways to live, two different maps for our life. One map brings death, one map brings life, but having the right map makes all the difference if we wanna get to where we want to go. I wanna end this morning by sharing an excerpt from an email that I got this week. I got her permission to do so. Uh, It was pretty timely and connects with what we're saying. This is what she says what she said to me, part of it anyway. She said, I remember in college, going out, getting drunk, experimenting with drugs, hooking up with guys, gossiping, social climbing, just endless amounts of selfish behavior. And then one summer I found myself studying Galatians with a small group of Christians and Paul's words changed my life. It wasn't like magic or anything, but I slowly began to obey God and try to match my actions with how he calls his people to live. It was really hard. I lost friends, social status, changed my career pursuits. The way I dated totally changed. A lot of things shifted as I chose to follow God's way, but I'm so thankful, she says. I'm so thankful because God's way brings life. God's way brings life. That's what Psalm 1 is saying to us this morning. And see, here's the thing. It's not, it wasn't just her obedience that changed her life. Notice the power of God's spirit working in her as she learned to fight sin by finding a greater joy in her Bible. It wasn't just her obedience, it was the power of God working powerfully in her life to help her fight sin by finding a greater joy in God's word in the Bible. And of course, that's what happens for all of us, that, that when we learn to let God's word become central to who we are and what we do, we start to realize slowly, I say slowly, It's not magic, it's not a light switch, it's not just like that. It takes time, it's hard, there's gonna be a cost, but slowly over time, as God's word becomes central to who we are and what we do, we realize that God's way, only God's way brings life, the life that you're looking for, the life that I'm looking for. See, God has a better map for your life and it's found in his word. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we want this to be true of us. We want to see success, we want to see thriving, we want to see flourishing in the way that you see flourishing. We want to make your word, let your word become central to who we are and what we do so that we become like a leafy tree, always attached to a source of life, never without water, never without life, never withering always bearing fruit in season. God, let that be true of us through the power of your spirit, working through our lives, through your word. It's in your name we pray.